back, everybody, to Leadership from Scratch, episode 3 of 20. I've had a, some people asking me if I'm actually going to get through these episodes because I was going through reels the other day, and I saw this reel about how 90% of podcasters stop before episode 3. I'm sure <laughs> those of you who have listened were probably thinking that this was going to be... Uh, wasn't going to make it episode three, but we're here, we're back. It's been a lot of uh, of traveling and working and trying to help my wife and our nine-month-old stay afloat. So I'm excited to get back on the... Oh, excuse me. I'm excited to get back on the podcast train. And we're going to deviate a little bit from the plan because if you remember... Uh, the first 20 episodes are following a framework of how to go from zero to master leader uh, in a framework organized way uh, based on the research. But after this summer, and so if you don't know, uh, I do training and leadership development for a solar company. And so I was out, we moved to the East Coast this year and I was out there trying to help a bunch of our new reps figure out new markets. And it was an amazing experience. Boston, that's where our little family was set up, was incredible. Incredible. Beautiful, green. The weather was cloudy and rainy, which I liked. People were very nice, contrary to popular belief as far as New Englanders go. I actually found them very pleasant. But as summer sales goes, there's a lot of rejection. And so it just reminded me of how it feels to be in the thick of things and trying to make something work that feels impossible at times. Because summer sales, regardless of how you slice it, and usually 99.9% .9 of people, there's going to be a 90% plus rejection rate simply for the fact of the stipulation that surrounds summer sales in general. There was a study that Daniel Pink did. Uh, he's a famous author and as essentially, well, I don't actually think he did it, but he cited it and I'll try to put it in the, in the podcast notes. But they asked people to write down their top 20 words that come to mind when you hear the word salesman. So like an associative study where you're trying to figure out what is associated with what. And the 25 top words were all pejorative. They were all bad. And I think the top three were like uh, dishonest, grimy, slimy, car salesman, male, interestingly enough. And so as a door-to-door -door rep, you're battling this preconception of uh, there's a lack of trust that exists just culturally. And with that being the case knocking doors, you're going to get rejected. I mean, if you think about it, a decent salesman knocks 2,000 doors, does 20 to 40 accounts, right? That's, I mean, that's a 90% plus rejection rate. And so mentally that can be really tough and it can take its toll on your emotional state and just your well-being. And so instead of talking about culture, which is what I plan to do, and we'll do that next episode, we're going to talk about failure today. And not failure in the sense of just being totally hopeless, despondent, uh, 
having no success, although that can be wrapped up into everything that we're going to talk about today. But more than that, it's just not performing as well as you want it. And regardless of what industry you're in, whether you're in sales, marketing, IT, if you're in retail, if you're just taking care of your family, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and that's your main focus because a family is an organization uh, and there's a lot of crossover with business, I'm sure you know. But it's really just how do we, number one, how do we avoid not performing how we want? But two, how do we deal with it when it's happening or after it's happened? Because even the greatest athletes and performers of all time, they don't win a championship every year. Like that's impossible. And so in some sense, you have to learn how to deal with not getting what you want or hitting a benchmark that you set if you want to be successful over the long term. So let's start off first just by talking about how to avoid failure preemptively. And the first thing is you can, and we're going to look at this in the opposite way. So how can you make sure that you fail? I think is it it could be instructive for us to look at it this way. First thing is failure is assured by not defining what you want. So in a book called Beyond Order by Jordan Peterson, I'm just going to read this because I thought that it was so profound because he, in the in this section of the book, he kind of brings to light why we don't set a goal or set an aim or set a benchmark, meaning why don't we set up our measurement system so that we can know where we're at? So he says this. He says, imagine more precisely that you are so afraid that you will not allow yourself to even know what you want. Because knowing would simultaneously mean hoping and your hopes have been dashed. You have your reasons for maintaining your ignorance, obviously. You're afraid uh, that there's nothing worth wanting. Or maybe you're afraid that if you specify what you want precisely, and this is key, this is key. I'll say it again. If you specify what you want precisely, you will simultaneously discover and all too clearly what constitutes failure. So you're afraid that failure is the most likely outcome. And finally, you're afraid that if you define failure and then fail, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was you that failed and that it was your fault, and so you do not allow yourself to know what you want. That's a pretty profound quote, because I think it encapsulates a lot of us living a life that has a lack of intentionality. And by that I mean simply setting up a measurement system so that you can know where you're at and the biggest reason for this is because we have and and this goes back to growth mindset carol dweck stanford right especially if you are in at least some areas typically more high performing than others or if you were considered a gifted intelligent child if you look at yourself and you say yeah i'm pretty much good at everything 
Or at least I've been told that. Essentially what's going to happen is your identity is going to be wrapped up in that praise that you've received. And we'll talk about this more later, but there's some studies that they've done. We'll carry out the way I can stay up for it in the 90s, and I'll put that in the notes, the podcast notes, where they took two groups, one group doing problems. They were given intelligence or ability praise, like, wow, you're so amazing, you did so well, you're so smart. The other group, they just gave them effort praise. Wow, like you worked really hard, you didn't give up, you dug your heels in uh, when the problem got difficult. So they had them do problems, then they gave them the two different types of praise, and they measured their performance again. And what they found was that the people who had gotten the effort praise performed way better, and people who had gotten the ability or the intelligence praise performed worse. And the reason that they, I guess they surmised, was for that is that when you are told that you're good at something, given praise, you wrap it up in your identity. And so then if you don't perform well, then what happens is you feel like a personal failure. And so a lot of times we will subscribe to the ignorance is bliss ideology. And so we'll ignore and we won't set up ways to measure ourselves to make sure that we don't fail because maybe if we set up that benchmark and we don't hit it, then we'll fail. Like like Jordan Peterson goes on and he, he says this. He talks about why we don't set up what we want, why we don't measure ourselves explicitly. So talking about you don't allow yourself to think through what you want. You manage this by refusing to think it through. You're happy, satisfied, engaged sometimes. And other times you're unhappy, frustrated, nihilistic. But you will not inquire deeply into why, because then you'd know. And then you would encounter yet again shattered hope and confirmed disappointment. You're also afraid, but for different reasons, to allow others to know what you want. First, if they were to find out what you wanted, then they might tell you. And then you would know even if you were fighting against gathering that very knowledge. Second, if they knew, they could then deny you what you truly wanted, even needed, and hurt you much more officially than they might if your deepest desires and therefore your vulnerabilities remain secret. The fog that hides is the refusal to notice, to attend to emotional and motivational states as they arise, and the refusal to communicate them both to yourself and to the people who are close to you. So, to recapitulate that, you don't figure out what you want, and you don't set up how to measure it, and you definitely don't tell people, because if you did and you didn't hit it, you would take it personally, and you would then, in your mind, your identity, you would become a failure. And this happens especially in fields where we believe that we have quote-unquote natural talent because we've wrapped that up as part of who we are. And if we don't perform the way we expect, then we lose that. However, the catch-22 here is that if you never set up those criteria for success or failure for yourself, you are guaranteeing that you will fail because 
the odds that you hit something that you're not aiming at if you're just walking around blindly in the expanse of the reality that you live in is 0%. 0%. So, the first thing to notice that could maybe give you an idea that you haven't set up these criteria for success or failure. So how do you know? Like, how do you know if you haven't done it? I mean, it seems pretty obvious. Like, obviously, I, I, I haven't written down like a quantitative measurable aim. But if you're walking around and you have like a state of anxiety or sadness, Peterson continues here. He says, a state of anxiety or sadness signifies something and not likely something that will please you to discover. The most probable outcome of successfully articulating, and I'm paraphrasing, what you want are tears, a.k.a. who wants to dig down into the depths of pain and grief and guilt until the tears emerge. So if you're walking around and you're sad or anxious or depressed, I would say, based on my experience, you probably don't have something that you have taken the time to figure out that you want, and then you haven't committed to measuring how close you are to that you haven't you haven't set up this structure of measurable outcomes because if you are on a path towards something that is valuable to you and you see yourself making progress towards that thing although that comes with it a risk of failing in that you may not hit that you may not ever that's the risk you may not ever get to that thing that you want at the end of the day but if you feel yourself progressing towards that goal, and this is motivational theory, then physiologically you are going to have positive emotion, i.e. dopamine, because dopamine is going to be released as you are on the path towards something that you care about and you feel like you're progressing. That's where the dopamine is. That's where the motivation is. That's where that flow state occurs. Not even in the hitting it, but just in the moving towards it. But we're missing out on that experience if we let fear dictate us not setting up those benchmarks for fear that we won't hit them because if we don't, then we lose who we thought we were. So it takes courage. It takes courage to set those up. But at the end of the day, if we don't do that, if we don't take the risk, then we are guaranteeing a state of aimlessness and eventually sadness, anxiety, depression. So the first way to assure failure in your life is to never think about what you want and never set up a plan to get there. So if you're not doing that, then do that. And then this leads us to the second way to make sure that you fail. And that is to stop after one time after two times, after 10 times. So going back to that growth mindset, often if we do have the courage to set down a path, so a great example of this, I feel this personally with this podcast because growing up in school, and this is not to toot my own horn, this is just how I was. I wasn't very good at math. Uh, I was always told that I had above average capabilities in, you know, reading, writing, communicating at church. Whenever I would give a talk in church, 
I would get tons of praise about how, wow, that was amazing. That was such a mature talk. You used all these big words. You communicated so well. And so it became, I, I fell into that trap where it became part of my identity early on that I was supposed to be this person that was this otherworldly communicator. And it did exactly what Dweck's study predicted it would do is it, it creates this inhibition in me. So for example, with these podcasts, because I feel like I have to be so good at communicating, I'm scared of negative feedback because it will affect me personally. It'll affect my identity. And so I sit there and I do all this research and I spend hours on it and I get so scared and so wrapped up in it that I feel like if I haven't done 10, 15, 20 hours of prep that it might be received poorly. And then I sacrifice consistency for perfection, which ends up guaranteeing that I fail. And so I did those two podcasts at the beginning. And then I got so busy that I didn't feel like I had the time to do it perfectly. And so I didn't do a podcast for two months. But in reality, the real winning with podcasting, especially from everything that I've heard from all these great podcasters, is just consistency. Like if you, Chris Williamson, Modern Wisdom, or Alex Hormozzi, The Game, or, you know, even Huberman, like look at how frequently they put these podcasts out. And they're not all perfect, right? But it's consistency. But I let the fear of my identity crumbling because of negative feedback or not having success get in the way of me just doing something that I love. And I'm really passionate about. And so you really even, and it's it's not like my first couple podcasts, they didn't get like, they're not getting enough hundreds, thousands, millions of views, right? They're getting some, and I appreciate you guys for listening, those of you who do. But it's really a long game of consistency, more than like, oh, if, if I create this, per no one's going to listen to podcast one or two or three or 10 or 20, maybe even 100, right? I think Hormozzi said it was like 600 podcasts that he'd put out before he started getting more than you know, a couple thousand listens. And, but that, 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 you know, that's something that I fell into and I'm sure a lot of you guys fall into too. I, I like, I know people who, they were told they were going to be great salesmen, like that they had this magic mojo, which sorry to break it to you in sales, there's no magic mojo. There's talent just like in any other field, but it's more about the skills and the time you take to develop the skills than it is about how amazing you are or your personality is although there is you know there is some baseline level of skill there in selling just like there is in the nba that will prohibit you from hitting a certain level like lebron 6'9 i'm 5'10 even though i love basketball i'm never going to the nba that like my genetics essentially selected me out of the nba but it's not gonna select me into something that's a craig manning thing so you can there's a lot of research on that anyway so failure is assured by stopping after one, two, or ten tries. Failure is assured by not learning. So I want to tell this, Go. I watched this interview with Kobe Bryant, and it was super insightful. And it kind of is, exemplifies this kind of rule of making sure you fail. So the interviewer said, you know, I always think there's two types of players. Players who love to win and players who hate to lose. Which are you? And Kobe said, and this is so profound, I'm neither. I play to figure things out. I play to learn something. If you play with a fear of failure, I think it's a weakness. Because if you play with a fear of failing, you'll have the pressure on yourself to play. And then you capitulate to that fear. 
He continues, if you play with a sense of I want to win, then you have the fear of what happens if you don't. But if you find common ground in the middle, in the center, then it doesn't matter. You're unfazed by either, and that enables you to stay in the moment and stay connected and not feel anything other than what's in front of you. And what that means is you don't stop after attempt one, especially if it's something new. And this is a paraphrase from Alex Hormozzi. I love his podcast, but it's unreasonable to think that you would be super successful after one attempt, especially at something that you had never tried before, even if you have all the ability in the world. Like if you're the most athletic person in the world, you have a 40 inch vert, you're, you know, you're seven feet tall, you run a four, four forty, and you never dribbled a basketball before. No amount of athletic ability it is going to make you be able to do a, you know, a hesitation crossover move or like a sham God or anything, right? Like those skills have to be developed. And although your genetic capability, it'll, it'll, you know, I think it'll give you a leg up. It's going to be the guy who has done the reps over a long period of time that is going to be the most successful. I mean, you see it in people like Steph Curry, who I talk about all the time. You know, he's not the most gifted athlete, quote-unquote, as you would imagine. But what makes him the greatest shooter of all time, in my opinion, the greatest point guard of all time, is his consistency and rep after rep after rep. And he didn't, I don't know if you've watched the undefeated or underrated documentary, but you can see how many failures he went through. But he didn't let the failure stop him. It's because, and there's so, there's such this cool quote where he, he talks about, I didn't want to prove other people wrong, but I wanted to prove myself right. And so I think his identity, going back to growth mindset, it wasn't wrapped up in, oh, I've been told my whole life I'm this amazing player. But he knew that he would put in more effort than other people and he would try and try and try and try and try until he succeeded. And guess what? He was a late bloomer, but because he kept making those attempts, he succeeded because he wasn't looking at the end of the day. He wasn't like, okay, if I don't go to Duke or North Carolina, because he wasn't recruited by any of the big schools, I'm going to be a failure. But he's like, okay, I got this offer to Davidson. Now I'm going to work as much as I can to make the most of it and really measure himself by what he could control, which at the end of the day, because that's kind of an ambiguous phrase, right? It's kind of ambiguous. Like, what can you control? Well, you can really only control your attention and your effort. Those are the two things that are innately, like those two things combined are really your will, right? Because you kind of can direct your attention on certain things and then you can exert a certain amount of energy towards what you're focused on. And so every day he just measured himself by his attention and his focus, I'm sure. I don't think it was consciously that, but if you look at the research and other things, that's that's what controlling what you can control means. And by doing that, he ended up, because he loved walking, right? It's that famous phrase, like, he who loves walking will go further than he who loves the destination because he was focused on walking. He ended up being the greatest point guard of all time against all odds. 
But if you're too focused on your performance of the day, meaning you measure the outcome, not your effort or your focus, if you're just thinking about outcome, you again will guarantee yourself failure. Because that's technically in the moment outside of your control. Over time, the more that you are consistent with your attention and your effort, the more influence you'll have on that. This is called, this is leading and lagging measures, right? If you read uh, Franklin Covey, uh, Four Disciplines of Execution, it's an incredible book. Uh, if you focus on the, the lead measures, the things that you can control with your attention and your energy, the lag measures will come. But by focusing on the lag measures, the things that you can't influence today, it's like Simon Sinek says with the gym. You go to the gym one day, you look at yourself, nothing changes. So if you were like, I'm going to I'm gonna measure my success or failure based on how different I look after I go to the gym today, after your pump is gone, right? I know the pump will make you look different, but after the pump's gone, you're not going to look different at all. But if you can focus consistently your attention and your effort on, okay, what is my program today? What are my exercises today? How well is my how well am I doing my technique today? Okay, I'm putting in great effort. You know, I I'm I'm getting I'm a little bit better today than I was yesterday. Over time, you look at those pictures of you after three months of lifting compared to your first day. There's going to be a huge difference. But if you had only measured yourself on your day to day performance based on what you look like. You would have given up after day one. And so failure is assured by stopping after one, two, or ten tries and by focusing on the outcome, not on your attention and effort. So Kobe continues, I love this about failure. So seriously, what does failure mean? It doesn't exist. It's a figment of your imagination. If you fail on Monday, the only way it's a failure on Monday is if you decide to not progress from that. And that's why failure is non-existence. Because if I, or non-existent, because if I fail today, I'm going to learn something from that failure and I'm going to try again on Tuesday. Then every year then says, so if you finish your career without a championship, you would not have looked at that as a failure, which I think is something we would all be thinking if we were talking to Kobe. Kobe says, no, I would look at it as being extremely disappointing because I had a dream and I had goals that I wanted to accomplish, right? And if I don't accomplish those goals, I have to ask myself why. So for my position, the reason why I wouldn't have accomplished those things, maybe, and he gives a few reasons, poor leadership, failure to communicate properly, lack of preparation, all these things would be reasons why I didn't win a championship. So if that was the case in my career, I have to sit down and analyze that. And then as I moved on and evolved post-basketball into business, those same weaknesses are going to reveal themselves there. So I can take those situations and learn from those and have them make me a better person later in life. But if I don't take that stuff and apply that someplace else, then that is failing to me, which is the worst possible thing that could happen which is to stop and not learn so in the context of sales right door to door which is what I do right now a lot of times especially in solar solar is these big contracts you know it's like a 40, 50, 60 thousand dollar contract and it takes two to three months 
from when you sign them up to actually get them installed. Sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, depending. But for most people who try it their first summer, money doesn't come until month two, month three. And so imagine if you were only focusing on the end goal, which was the amount of money in your bank account. You would quit after week one because you would have failed. But it's those people who set up their attention and effort goals, things they can measure on the day-to-day that they have 100% control over. Doors knocked, hours knocked, homeowners talked to. In other fields, it would be, like in basketball, it would be shots a day, um, hours in the gym, um, how many times did I lift, how many times did I do plyo work, how many minutes a week did I spend on uh, dribbling drills. In the family, it could be how many times did we have dinner together this week. Because if your end goal is to have like perfect unity with your family and love and everybody's happy, <laughs> there's so much going on, you would quit your family very quickly if you're like, well, I'm just failing. And because of that, I'm not good, so I'm just done. But that's a long-term thing. Most of the things that really matter in our lives that we really want, that we're working towards, are going to take a long time. And those measures are going to lag. And so we have to focus on those lead measures, those things that we can direct our attention and energy to. And then you might say, well, what if I don't accomplish? Because sometimes there's time limits with things, right? Like, imagine that you're playing basketball. And, you know, you only have four years in high school. And your goal was to win a state championship. And you don't win a state championship. What Kobe's saying there is, that's not a big deal as long as you can look back and figure out well, what could you have influenced that you didn't, that you could have done better to help your team win a state championship. And then you apply that in your next phase of life. But Jory Hinckley, she's one of the wives of one of the presidents of our church, that I, the church that I go to. Uh, there's a quote, and again, it just came to mind, but it's something about every challenge in life prepares you for the next challenge. So even if you didn't win that state championship, you did not fail as long as you can take those lessons and move them to the next phase of your life. Maybe that is you're in college. Maybe you go on a church mission. Maybe you are starting a business. Maybe you're in a relationship and you want to win that relationship, you know, by having a loving relationship that you want. All those lessons that you could get better at through reflection on why you didn't help your team win a state championship, those can apply. So there's this uh, professor from Stanford, and he said, it's far better to have understood why you failed than to be ignorant of why you succeeded. And that's just called conscious and subconscious competence. There's some research in performance psychology on that. I've read it in the Fearless Mind book by, by Craig Manning in, in his class at BYU. But some people have success and they don't know why. And what Dr. Berkelman is saying is it's better to have failed and to know why. Because then you can repeat that, right? Then you can change, adjust, and scale. In a business setting, it's so critical. Because if you don't know why you succeeded, how then are you going to make that business grow? If you're just a magical wizard and you can't help anybody else develop the skills to help the business grow, 
for example, if you're you're an amazing salesman again, and you don't know why you're good and you just are good, then how can you possibly think that you could help other people do that if you can't teach them? You only have so much bandwidth. There's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so much of you to go around. There's only so many personal sales that you can get. At some point, you're going to have to, if you want to have big, far-reaching impact, you're going to have to then, and that's leadership, right? That's leadership where you can then help people to solve the problems that you've solved. If you don't know why or how, then you will most assuredly fail. So that's why it's much more valuable to take a risk, go into something, not achieve the first time, quote-unquote, fail, figure out why, try again, and then solve the problem. Because then you can teach that to people. There's this quote from Alex Formosi where he says, During my hardest days, I repeated the same phrase to myself, I cannot lose if I do not quit. And he continues, If you try 100 offers, I promise you will succeed. Most people never try anything. Others fail once and then they give up. It takes resilience to succeed. Stop personalizing. It's not about you. If your offer doesn't work, it does not mean that you suck. It means your offer sucks. Big difference. You only suck if you stop trying. I love that. You only suck if you stop trying. So try again. You'll never become world class if you stop after a failed attempt. So in anything that's worth doing, expect to fail your first time, your second time, your fifth time. And don't measure yourself on whether you you hit the end goal. Don't measure yourself on, in the process, did we win the championship? Did I make a hundred grand? Does my wife love me personally? just as much as I want her to and is our relationship perfect do my kids are they super obedient did my team are they selling what they're supposed to be selling that will just make you sad especially if you're just starting out on one of those journeys instead expect that those results won't come easily focus on learning as you go Reflect, adjust, adapt, measure yourself by your attention and your effort. And at some point, you'll succeed. And you'll hit that lagging measure that you really wanted. But you won't succeed if you're inconsistent. So this comes to point number three. Failure is assured by being inconsistent during the attempt. So Charlie Munger once said, you have to make sure that you're... If you're in the context of if you are wanting to make sure that you fail, right? He said, if you want to make sure you fail, you have to make sure that you're inconsistent because if you are consistent and you have none of the other attributes, you still might be successful. It's very tough for people who are consistent to not be successful. And then this is Chris Williamson from Modern Wisdom. This kind of encapsulates everything that the, the other two lessons on how to assuredly fail talk about. Chris Williamson, he is a guy who started the Modern Wisdom Podcast. If you haven't heard it, it's excellent. Um, he has over a million subscribers now. 
but he started off with like none, like, right? And he has, I think, over 600, 700 episodes now. But he says in the context of his path to building this this huge platform for himself, he said, consistency is even rarer than talent or enthusiasm. Let's say that after 150 weeks of consistency, the average person in your industry, whatever you're doing now, is really starting to run out of gas and struggle. Their talent and enthusiasm have both been competed out by other talented and enthusiastic people. It now becomes a battle of consistency. Who can deal with the discomfort and just keep going inevitably? Some competitors start to drop off because it's hard and repetitive and unrewarding. This is why not stopping separates you from everyone else. In the back of your head, you might hear a voice that says, if it was meant to be, it wouldn't be this difficult. I shouldn't be finding it this hard. All of my competitors seem to be coping just fine. In my experience, this is untrue. Everyone finds consistency difficult. They just don't post about the unremarkable grinding because there's not magnificence in turning up every day. So this goes back to what we were talking about, about how that growth mindset versus fixed mindset. If you feel like your talent and enthusiasm is going to get you where you want to go, and you feel like you have been told that you're above average in a specific or in all things your whole life, that's going to run out. And eventually it's going to work against you if you lean on that, because you you will fail. And then that'll feel like a personal hit. Instead, measure yourself on your consistency. So how do you most assuredly not fail? Be consistent and learn as you go. And expect that at the beginning you're going to suck and you're it's going to be dumb. But the great thing is, nobody really is going to care after a minute. Everyone's so self-centered and focused on what they're thinking. No one's going to care. After you listen to this podcast, you're probably not going to think about it again very deeply after a minute, an hour, a day, a week, or a month. And that helps me to keep going, being consistent. Because even if this podcast is the worst podcast ever, so what? Who's going to listen? You know? Some people will. But over time, I'll get better at this. I'll get better at disseminating the information to you. It'll be more interesting. I'll better quotes. I'll speak more clearly. And maybe it'll grow into something. And maybe it won't. But me doing this today, that's the win. Because I was so scared to do it the past two months because I didn't, I wanted it to be perfect. Same thing for you and whatever you're aiming at or wanting. If you've articulated that and you know how to measure it, I know how to measure this podcast thing. I know it's 21 podcasts. Like, that's where I need to get to. And I'm on number three. Right? So I got a while to go. But this is a step in the right direction and it gives me this motivation because I'm doing it. So consistency. I do like Olympic weightlifting now. And I think it's a perfect analogy because that's a marathon. Strength is built so slowly, uh, especially, you know, if if you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of fast switch fibers because Olympic weightlifting is a lot of explosiveness and power, Right? And so for me to get better at it, it's taking a long time. And when I get too caught up in my actual numbers, like I 
you know, I feel like a failure and I want to quit. But it's, again, more in the consistency. So, for example, James Clear, he wrote uh, Atomic Habits. He asked the head of the Chinese weightlifting team, he said, what sets the world champions apart from everyone else? And the coach's answer was simple. Whoever can handle the boredom of daily training the best. So think about knocking doors, right? Again, I keep going back to this because it's on my mind because what I've been doing the past two months with and seeing all these reps. If you can switch your mindset, meaning how you organize and process information, if you can look at it being a win for you, something that requires attention and control. So for example, the lagging measure in in sales is obviously money in the bank account. But those things that require attention and energy, that would be like knocking doors, the amount of people that you talk to, right? Often, but on top of that also, it's, you know, the training you put in to get better and more skilled every day. And both of those things can be boring. But the people who do both of those consistently, those are the people that are going to win. Like, there's another quote from Chris Williamson. He says, Whenever I get to a low point where I think, why do I even bother? I just remind myself, this is where most people stop. And this is why they don't win. This is what hard feels like. And this is why most people can't do it, but you can. If after that first day, let's say you, you've made a plan to knock 50 doors a day. That was kind of like your way of saying, if I do that, I'll win. I know we had... Um, at the company I work at, we have this cup at the end of every every summer. And it's really a battle of consistency. So it starts out with all the reps, and then it just gets cut in half every week. And so if you're able to perform better than the bottom half, then you move on. Well, the winner this year, I was talking to him yesterday. His name's Rock. I said, dude, what, what did you do to win the cup this year? And he said, well... The biggest thing for me was there were three non-negotiables I had to do every day. I had to spend some time with God. I did an emotional state meditation at Tony Robbins, state management, kind of like a it's like a it's like a meditation. Did that every day. Then I would knock fifty doors a day. And I knew if I did that, then I won the day. And he just did that consistently. And all of that effort built up to where he won the cup out of 100 plus people, right? He was the winner. But if he had stopped in the middle, maybe he had a bad day where he knocked the 50 doors and he got nothing, no leads, no nobody interested in the product, nothing. If he had quit then, he never would have won the cup. It's in those moments where we get so depressed, where we feel like nothing is working, that we just have to keep hacking away. And it's easier to do that if you frame what you can control as the win. I mean, Henry B. Eyring said, if we stop trying after one burst of effort, the change will fade. You have to keep going. And there's this interesting story that was floating around our company during the summer. It was very applicable. And I heard it from someone, but I think it came from McKay Newell. So, McKay, if you ever listen to this, shout out to you. But it's this story that I think 
if you're wanting to make sure that you don't fail over the long term, if you want to win over the long term, implement this strategy. So um, in 1911, there were these two guys, Roald Amundsen and Robert Falcon Scott. They were each leading an expedition to reach the South Pole. Both of them set out at the same time and from the same place, but they had very different strategies. So Falcon Scott, he let like the weather determine his team's movement. If the weather was good, they would push great distances. They would push so hard. But if the weather was really bad, they wouldn't move at all. For example, like in early December when there was a blizzard, Scott wrote in his journal, I doubt any party could travel in such weather. So Amundsen's team had a totally different strategy. They traveled 15 to 20 miles a day, regardless of weather or how the team felt. So 20 miles a day, that was their standard. No matter what, blizzard, no blizzard. Which which do you think was more successful? Well, it's obvious, right? Amundsen, the 20 miles a day group, they reached the South Pole on the exact day that they planned to. And everybody survived. Scott's team died 11 miles from the supply depot. And in the end, it was believed that that inconsistent strategy is what caused the death of the entire team. And what's the greatest factor? It was just consistency. So if you want to make sure that you succeed, be consistent. Especially when it's hard, especially when it's busy, especially when it seems impossible. Just remind yourself that that is where most people give up and that is why they don't win. So the last rule. So failure is assured when discomfort and frustration is avoided. That discomfort and that frustration, that pain, is part of what makes the story great. So, most people have heard of the growth mindset. A lot of people maybe haven't heard of this stress mindset where essentially stress actually enhances performance. And if you can believe that, then... Uh, it has been shown to be a perf- almost like a performance-enhancing drug, right? So um, there's a researcher. Her name's Alia Crum, and I'll try to link the studies below because she's done a couple of them. But essentially, they did a learning study, and I got this from Huberman Lab podcast, which is excellent. But they were... With one group, they watched an educational video, if I'm remembering right, that showed them, that taught them that stress has actually been shown to increase performance. The other one, they did one where they showed that stress was actually detrimental to performance, and then they put them in stressful situations, and guess what happened? Exactly what they expected beforehand. So those who believed that stress was helpful actually had huge increases in performance. And... There's a little bit more research that um, 
goes into this. So if you can combine that growth mindset, meaning my attention and my energy is what I'm measuring, with the stress is enhancing mindset, meaning when I get to this point where I'm feeling discomfort or pain, that's where I'm actually getting better. Those two combined, more than anything else in the literature, has been shown, that's like the key to performance psychology. That's the key to getting what you want. So a great example for me is like Olympic weightlifting, right? Like I do, I follow this program and sometimes it gets really hard and really heavy and my CNS is just wiped. Like I feel super fatigued and I feel a lot of pain and I have a choice in that moment. I can choose to, A, say, well, yeah, that's going to be too hard on me and it's actually going to fatigue me, and so I should pull back. Or I can decide to say, this is where I'm getting better, where my form is starting to break down, where I don't want to do the next rep, where I'm scared because the weight's so heavy, and lean into it and try to love it. If I can do that because I believe that that is where I'm actually going to get better, if I do that consistently over time, I'm going to improve way faster than if I avoid that. Because if I avoid that, I'm never going to adapt. I'm never going to evolve. And there's kind of this axiom in our culture where it's like, no pain, no gain. But I think that encapsulates exactly what we're trying to say. I mean, that's a perfect way to phrase it. If you can push towards consistent, it doesn't have to be every day, but consistent pain and frustration, that will be an indicator that you're in the learning zone. And remember what Kobe said. Learning really is winning. The only failure is to stop learning. And if you're not feeling growth and discomfort, guess what? You're probably not learning. And learning's always painful. Like learning, if you are at the end of the day, if you're judging your success based on how much you're learning, well, it's going to suck. And Jordan Peterson said this, you learn things painfully. And when you learn things, a part of you has to die. That's the pain. There's some dead wood there. It needs to be burned off. But when that burns, it's going to hurt. Maybe the things that emerge in its place are better. And they will be better. So how do you assure that you fail? Run from pain. Run from discomfort. Run from that place where you're getting stretched. Now, you don't want to do things that are outside your capability. So, for example, if you've never lifted before, right, you do not want to try to bench 400 pounds. You will die. It will kill you. That's too much pain. There's a point where it's so much pain that it's going to be detrimental. But you should feel frustrated and stressed. I remember uh, doing math problems in high school. I remember doing this one stupid, stupid assignment. And I remember I was so frustrated I was crying. And I thought, math isn't for me. I suck at math. If I had had this mindset, I would have known that that was a good thing because it meant that I was pushing my boundaries and I was forcing myself to adapt mentally, to acquire new skills. And if I had just pushed through that, I could have gotten a lot better at math. Same thing with anything that you're doing. You're going to feel points where you're frustrated with your kids and your job in your personal life, in your fitness or physical goals. 
let that frustration be an indicator that you're on the right path. That I am getting better right now. And if I can push through this, I will exponentially increase who I am as a person. And that's the key. That really is the key. Because in that stressful state, research shows that's where neuroplasticity is increased. That stress, it induces a state where the mind is willing to make new connections and to expand. And different genes turn on and we get closer to our potential. So, my final advice for all of this today. How to, what to do when you feel like a failure. So number one, before even starting out, define what you want and figure out ways to measure how you're going to get there. Set benchmarks of that can be controlled by your attention and your energy. Those lead measures. Focus on those lead measures. Number two, expect that you're not going to succeed the first time, the second time, the fifth time, or the tenth time. Keep trying. Keep going. Number three, keep doing it consistently. Keep trying every day. And number four, keep trying, especially when you feel frustrated because you know that's when you're getting better. I think that Alex Formosi summed it up best. He said, you must pick a goal and do so much work that it would be unreasonable for you not to succeed. If you were to look back having done an amount of work that it would be virtually impossible for you to fail. And I can promise you that if you do that level of work, that volume of activity over an extended period of time, without thinking you're smarter than you actually are, you'll probably get there in half the time. But you have to start that first hour and not wait a decade to get there. So if you feel like a failure, figure out what you want. Start right now. Write it down. Figure out what it's going to take to get there and what you can control every day. Make a plan. And then stick to that plan, especially when it is difficult. Kobe Bryant had a really good quote. He said, Once you have that plan, I'm not negotiating with myself. The deal was already made. When I set out at the beginning of the summer and said, this is the training plan I'm doing, I signed that contract with myself. I'm doing it. Throughout the process, you'll start talking to yourself like, maybe I can just do two more sets tomorrow. That sort of stuff is dangerous. Nope, this is non-negotiable. So like the 20-mile march, set up the minimum that you're going to do every day, no matter how you feel. Seek that stress. Seek that pain. Seek the short-term failure for the long-term success. If you do those things, then whatever you're wanting, it's very, very likely that you're going to get it. But even if you don't in the short term, like maybe what you're really wanting is a championship. Maybe you don't get the championship. Maybe you run out of time. But you can still take those lessons to the next thing that you want. And you can win at life. And you can guarantee that you can win at life. And you will never be a failure if you just don't quit and you search for the stress, and you consistently try to direct your attention and your effort, you will become who you are supposed to become if you do that. So thanks. That's Leadership from Scratch, Episode 3 on how to deal with failure. 
Next week, we'll talk about culture and how to avoid cultural pitfalls and how to create a culture that you want and the science behind culture creation. So thanks, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.